It's officially draft season, and we're going to break down the Atlantic League draft for you, and we have other news as well. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 159 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We have an all-star game, we got a draft, and we have some coaching news, which is really just kind of more of a nice little uh, nest egg to get us into the Atlantic League from the all-star game. So, how are we doing? Pretty good. Uh, pretty good, I guess, as a temporary member of the Brotherhood. It's a, it's a good day. As far as, as far as indie ball goes, well, we're starting to, uh, starting to get hit the home stretch as far as the off-season, and you're starting to see what these teams are going to look like. Uh, for real. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting into that exciting time of year. And, you know, as we're recording this, Nick, in, in New Jersey, uh, you know, some people are get, get baseball from February on, like with college games, and it's all nice and warm. Uh, and meanwhile, I think it's like a million bucks. I feel like a million bucks because it's like 60 degrees and sunny outside. So, uh, oh. baseball's in the air. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I, I have a feeling the temporary part will be removed by the end of this Duke run, but you know, that's just my hunch. We'll see how that winds up working out. But yeah, absolutely on the war, on the warm weather front, when we had like 70 degrees for two days last week, it was, it was so strange to have it be that warm. But I think that cold kind of is the reason why New Jersey's kind of a slept on baseball state, to be quite honest, because oh, yeah. There's a lot of really good ball players that come out of New Jersey, and I almost feel like it's it's because of the weather in some sense. I understand a lot of people do their training inside anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But there is something to be said about your first like month of play, if not more. It's just going to be like, yeah, it's going to be 45 degrees outside. There's a decent chance there may be some flurries coming through during like the first series or two of the year. You're just going to have to deal with that. And it's just something that I think a lot of players from like the South or California or something, they just, they're not used to that. Meanwhile, in New Jersey, it's like, yep, it's cold. I got gloves. That's how I'm getting through this. Tough. That's how it works. Exactly. So that's what Shaheen Holloway would say that people from New Jersey, New York aren't, aren't aren't afraid of anything. And certainly cold weather is not something anyone from this area is afraid of. So absolutely. You know who isn't afraid of cold weather as well? Oh. The people of Chicago, Illinois, and they're going to have something to look forward to with an all-star game coming to their, to their town soon. Chicago Dogs will host the American Association all-star game on July the 11th and July the 12th. It came out last week. It wasn't added into the show because we saw it after we finished recording. Uh, we kind of speculated about this as well because, I mean, they were hawking all-star game tickets on their website before these announcement was officially made so it doesn't come as much of a surprise it's just more or less announcing what we already knew there'll be music there'll be a skills competition there'll be a game and a home run derby as well uh and this is another case of a team that was supposed to host it in 2020 as we mentioned the last time this idea had came up and uh, they're just kind of getting back to where they should be the first day the 11th will have that skills competition and a home run derby as well as a free concert and uh, then the second day will be the game proper so uh, definitely something to look forward to tickets go on sale april the 8th yeah so definitely not something that was overly surprising just because look that's the team that we're supposed to have it in 2020 that's kind of the theme 
that we're seeing uh, for a lot of these all-star games this year is just like trying to repay those teams that were supposed to have it in 2020 until the world essentially ended and uh, they couldn't have that. And of course, like last year, 2021, not totally back to normal. So not, not many all-star games to go around. Uh, so it's good to see Chicago get it back. It's obviously a great location for, for an all-star game. Uh, they got a great fan base there for it. And of course, a beautiful ballpark. So, uh, it's definitely not overly surprising. However, um, it was great to see them get another shot at, at hosting the all-star game and a great location. Uh, it should, it should be, I assume they'll do a great job with it because, uh, it's, it's a, it looks like a great place for, uh, the all-star game festivities for the American Association. So definitely excited for it and, uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. We've talked about in the past how, you know, really there's only a handful of ballparks that could realistically host an all-star game and drive turnout of some sort. And Chicago makes the most sense of all of those locations, uh, certainly yeah. there. So what is I do Yogi like, ba- is Yogi Berra Stadium one of them? Oh, certainly. You know, Yogi's a top tier destination. It's the destination of the nation, really. Uh, <laughs> with that peak pristine ballpark that Honestly, I, I think it may be the best in all of, not just independent ball, but minor league baseball as a whole. It's certainly a top fiver. Um, kids grow up, kids grow up and, and dream of playing at the great Yogi Berra Stadium. They go to these games and then they return to the stadium as a, as a division three athlete and they go, if I could get paid <laughs> to play in this stadium that remained the same from the time I was a mere child. It would fulfill my dreams and my destiny to do so. And, oh, and naturally, and a handful of them every year, they do manage to live out that life goal. And you, you just got to be happy for them. Uh, I know. But on a more serious note, I am interested to see what kind of skills they're going to have in the skills competition. I imagine it'll be a lot of fielding drills, maybe some, uh, maybe even some bunting in there that'd be kind of interesting to see and maybe like a hardest pitch or something along those lines there's certainly a lot that could be done there and i always like the idea of having a skills competition it draws more people to a ballpark for what would have otherwise just been oh it's a home run derby that's cute that's great you know i don't really want to just show up for like a two-hour event it's not like it's major league baseball where it's a bit different than you know uh, an independent league uh, skills or not skills count an independently got home run derby when you have the skills on top of that it does make a more uh, wide-reaching event plus i think it's kind of nice to include all the players in this so that way they're not just traveling to one location for one game and perhaps to to take a kind of a more fun version of bp to have them all included does seem to be a kind of a nice topper and it does seem like the 11th is going to be a very interesting day for fans there because they're going to have a lot of activities going on on top of what's happening on the field right and i think uh and you make a really good point about that because at least a, a game a thing i remember is when the eastern league all-star game it was either 2018 i think it was 2018 it was in trend okay. uh and so i went and they basically had two separate nights for the home run derby and the all-star game and i went to both of them and and i remember thinking that i'm like what like after that home run derby i'm like wow i kind of feel really underwhelmed that i went to that because it was just a home run derby and then everyone went home so i think it's i think it's definitely important for uh, in the indie leagues specifically to have just more than a home run derby. Like, of course, like, you know, the home run derby is a skills competition in a sense, but 
uh, just other things and a concert, just like other stuff to do that's outside of the home run derby. Of course, the all-star game itself can speak for itself. Uh, but I think that it's important to have things that are going on outside of the home run derby, especially for an independent league. Absolutely. It's all about making sure, you know, fans feel like they got their money's worth out of it. And like you said, you felt underwhelmed after just the home run derby. And I have a feeling a lot of fans felt the same way. And they were like, well, if the home run derby was like this, am I going to go to the all-star game for this too? Only really if you care about a couple of prospects, you have nothing else to do. And the odds of getting people to the same ballpark on consecutive nights is probably slim, especially if they didn't enjoy the night prior. And then you made it feel like, well, we could have just done this home run derby after the all-star game and combine this into one night. Uh, so it is, I do like how this goes. And again, if anyone is in the greater Chicago area or want, or is traveling to there, you can get your tickets for this uh, on the 8th of April. So with that said, I think we can kind of move on to the second piece of news, which is we have, uh, generally speaking, a finalized coaching staff for the Lancaster Barnstormers because apparently C's make K sounds. And uh, obviously you have some people returning. <coughs> Ross Peoples returns as the manager. And uh, Jeff Bianacci? I... He's, he's going to return as the uh, hitting coach. And then we have a new pitching coach for the Barnstormers. It's going to be Mark Johnson, former major leaguer, uh, coach in the Tiger system for a bit. Uh, pretty Seems like a pretty well-rounded guy. Seems like a solid option as a pitching coach. And he is their first full-time pitching coach since, I believe, it's 2017. So I believe he replaces, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Schoeman as... Uh, Schoeman as uh, the pitching coach, I think he was doing it kind of part-time the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm, I thought he was doing the player co- I know he was a player coach. I just don't recall if he was a I, pitching I don't, coach. I don't remember any, any like, full-time pitching coach, so I... I would think so, but then, like, I remember also, like, Caleb Gindle being, like, a hitting coach, like, a player coach as well. Yeah. I don't know. Lancaster's really running a lot of double-duty guys last year, so I guess it's yeah. a welcome change now to actually have, you know, full-time assigned coaches. Uh, that's certainly a positive. Uh, then, you know, it, it obviously it's going to have to help them, too. I mean, they weren't terribly good last year, so this is probably a welcome change, no doubt. Right, and and the Barnstormers definitely need a change in some sense, just because they have uh, they have struggled over the last few years. And this is a team that that used to be uh, at least in the early part of the the 2010s, even even the mid part as well, a team that was consistently in the playoffs every season, competing for championships. Just haven't really seen it over the last few years, uh, and they they want to keep Ross Peoples. Uh, in charge and specifically on the pitching side, uh, it seems like Mark Johnson's qualified a good hire, uh, for sure, especially playing in the big leagues, coaching in the minor leagues as the pit, as the pitching coach. Uh, however, I think that, uh, they definitely needed a full time pitching coach. They have to do something as far as pitching because it just, you know, has not worked on that side of the ball. And part of that is the ballpark they play in. So I think that's, that's, um, it's definitely not easy to pitch it. Clipper magazine with a 300 foot right field porch. Uh, so that's certainly not easy. However, the, the pitching, considering we literally had a segment on the show every single week last week, uh, called the Lancaster ERA team ERA check. 
which I don't know. I, I say I say we give them a little bit this year to like they get try a month. And redeem themselves, and then maybe we cut it. They get a month before uh, we make okay. a decision on it. it could, after a month, we'll know. You got to go. You got to go for your point after a month, right? So, right. Exactly. Two months from now, we could be going. Yep, time for the Lancaster ERA check again. Which it's fun to think we're only a month away from baseball. Isn't that nice? Exactly. A month away from the Lan- well, actually, it would be two months away from the first Lancaster team ERA check. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, either way, we're only about a month away from actually discussing baseball. Actually, probably like three weeks away because the week before the Atlantic League starts, we'll do the preview. Right. That's nice. It's great. We it only have nice. three more of these off-season uh, episodes for all of you to have to slug through and listen to. It's lovely. There, it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, boys and girls. You just uh, got to hang in there. But uh, on the Barnstormers note, I think yeah. that they definitely needed a full-time pitching coach to try and do something with the pitching in this organization that just has not been there uh, for, for quite a while now. Uh, and... And so I think it's, it's certainly a welcome change. And now that I'm talking, I think I think Nate Reed was also a player pitching coach as well. He very well could have been. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. I mean, Lancaster seems to have done that for what? It would have been one, two, three years. They did the kind right. of uh, stopgap option here. And I'm not quite sure why they did it, but I'm, I mean, it got to be better than what they're at now because, like you mentioned, last year they weren't very good and they kind of stagnated over the last couple of years, not really doing too much of note, at least in, in league play. And, I mean, obviously, there were some titans at the top of the list. You had Sugarland for a while. You have Long Island that's always good. And now it seems like Lexington's kind of there. But even still, you, you kind of expect to see a better showing out of Lancaster, which is now one of the older teams in the league. It's, fun, it's funny to think that, you know, for a team that... Uh, a team that, if you if you looked at the landscape of the Atlantic League in say twenty nineteen and Barnstormers are still pretty new. Yeah. Uh but not but not anymore. Uh but certainly not anymore given the realignment that we've seen. Exactly. If that especially if you go back to even like twenty eighteen where you still had Bridgeport in there, you still had Somerset in there. You had some of these or like original founding teams that were still there. It's just like wow, okay, Lancaster's gonna be like one of the older teams in like three years. Okay. I mean, the High Point Rockers are the longest tenured team in the South. Like, that tells you enough. And I remember covering that team when they first started. I remember that. Whereas it's like, we got the High Point Rockers. Let's take a, I'm going to try to describe a jersey on a podcast. That old like, thing. Right. Which, speaking of which, I almost forgot to mention, Chicago's got new jerseys for opening day. They're like black and, yeah, I, we tweeted out the thing. So if you could take, just go to the Twitter page and you'll you'll see what I mean. But they got New Jersey's too. I, the Indie Ball Report. We tweeted out the thing. Yeah, just just check the Twitter. <laughs> That's the default. If you, right. if I didn't respond to an email or something, I'm gonna be honest. I saw it. I was doing something else. And I was like, I gotta respond to that, and then I kept forgetting it was there. And then when I was in the middle of something else, I was like, oh shit, there's an email that I need to get to. That's pretty much how this operates, and then rinse and repeat, but yeah, I suppose now having completely departed from the Barnstormers talk, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. They have a full coaching staff. They have some other uh, like base running coaches as well, but uh, I didn't particularly think it was all too important to uh, write their information down because they're base running coaches. Agreed. 
Yep. So with that, we go to the last thing, but probably the big premier item of the day, which is the Atlantic League draft held Wednesday after a two-day-long tryout camp. Uh, what happens is, I believe it was the first 10 picks or first 12 picks of this draft, the first 12 picks belong to a mixture of Team Wild Health Kentucky Genome and the Stant Island Fairyhawks, they being the two newest teams, got those picks to try and help fill out their roster a bit. Obviously, uh, Team Kentucky there does not exactly need much help. They have a very strong roster as it is, and Stan Island could probably use a little bit of a boost, although they continue to sign former Mets, as seen by picking up Reimer Lariano, who yep. I do think is a solid addition to the lineup here, but they do Absolutely. need to start getting some... Uh, some Yankee bats in there too to try and get those Yankee fans back in. I understand there's a lot of Met fans in ownership and you hired uh, a lot of Met personnel. I totally understand that, but the island is still divided. You you swung, you kind of course corrected a little too much, like uh, bring it back to the center. Um, but regardless of that, uh, we do have tw- we have 19 picks. Long Island passed on pick number 20, which is both ruthless and uh, somehow merciful at the same time. Because, I mean, let's be honest, uh, with the exception of the second overall pick, which Long Island traded up to acquire, uh, they're not really keeping many people on this uh, in this draft because, well, Long Island has its an- somehow ability to draw in a lot of very talented ballplayers. Yeah. They, they certainly do. And, uh, I think when looking at this draft, I, I think that unlike some other years in the showcase, I really do think that this year, uh, we're seeing, uh, it's funny. You look at last year's, uh, you look at last year's showcase and the first pick being Josh Sala, mm-hmm. uh, picked by Gastonian. We know how that ended up. Uh, so. I mean, the, I mean, if you want to just jump right in, this so far as the first the the first pick of this draft that Staten Island picked up is, I think, is quite an intriguing arm. Time to pronounce name, uh, Hector Guance. I'm gonna go with that. It's got to be Guance. G U A N C E. Got to be Guance. Uh, anyway, he's a former former uh, farmhand of the Orioles, a little bit with the Nats as well, uh, but mo- but pitched most recently in 2019. Uh, in the Orioles system and, uh, in Loe Del Marva, uh, a fourth, a four three three ERA in 22 starts and 108 innings. Uh, and the year before that in the New York Penn League, an ERA just under four at 398 and 14 starts. Uh, he looks like a solid arm. I would, and apparently, uh, of course, I wasn't there to confirm it, but what people were saying is that, uh, in the, the press releases and such, was that he was he was clocked up to ninety six he was clocked up to ninety six ninety seven miles an hour in the uh, in the showcase so I think this could be a really intriguing arm not only because of the velocity uh, but because of he has a pretty decent minor league track record uh, so I think that's intriguing to begin with uh, the one thing that at least just looking at his numbers and of course he hasn't pitched since twenty nineteen so you don't know how much of this will continue but you would assume he's completely healthy uh, and as well but one thing. Probably he, he has to get better as far as throwing strikes. That's something that he's definitely struggled with uh, in a, a, a for a decent amount of his minor league career, especially with Del Marvin his last full season walking five and a half per nine. That's not going to play. Uh, but I, I think that he looks like a pretty intriguing arm in the Staten Island rotation, and to get a guy from a showcase like this that you can throw into your rotation, I think that's a pretty valuable thing. 
so I, I think that I, I'm very intrigued by this Hector Guanzon that the, that the, uh, that the Ferry Hawks picked up in the first, with the first overall pick of the draft. So is throwing strikes important for a pitcher? You could say that, yes. Oh, okay. I, I just want to make sure of that, just to dispel any doubt. I think it is an interesting pick there, too. It definitely kind of fits that Stan Island mold they've been going for, which is a lot of hard-throwing pitchers. Um, I I do think I'm not going to really complain about any draft pick here. If a, if a manager or a GM or whomever is there scouting for the team likes a guy, then you get the guy. Uh, it's as simple as that. This level you want to take whatever talent you can get and whatever player you think meshes the best and you run with that. So I'm not going to, you know, begrudge any pick here, but I would say I would like to see them start to acquire some actual, you know, some bats, some, some bigger name offensive pieces here because we really haven't seen too much of that. But that being said, as far as, uh, as, uh, as far as this pick's concerned, I will say it does seem like a very solid pick. It definitely seems like the kind of guy they, they could use, they could add in there. And if he does wind up being that kind of hard throwing pitch that they need, then I don't see any reason why it would be a bad pick. And I mean, it, this is definitely the stage where you take these kind of riskier options here because it's a free pick. It's a free player. You got nothing to lose. So, uh, certainly that. Uh, I will say we're going to get into some trades for, for these picks, like Team Kentucky traded the second overall pick to Long Island uh, for the rights to a player. As far as whenever Stan Island's, or, yeah, Stan Island's concerned, their trades were all for player to be named later. So that's something of note here. Um, obviously, there is a historic pick in here that we'll touch on after we finish going through every other pick, uh, because that deserves its own conversation. But that being said, is there anybody else in here really that uh, kind of stands out to you because I'm going to default to the guy that, you know, spent the whole summer scouting players. And uh, I feel like you'd have a better way of, you know, breaking players down than I would. Well, I think it's hard because, well, I wasn't actually there. And a uh, lot of these yeah. guys, at least in this, uh, in the, at least in this draft, are guys who don't have a, a big track record, but it's more guys that coaches see and they, and they like as far as whether it's on the pitching end of things or the hitting end of things. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of it remains to be seen. Uh, however, I, I think the one we have, the one pick we have to talk about, it would be remiss if we didn't mention, mm-hmm. of course, uh, the, see, I want to say Team Kentucky, but what is the Wild Health? Wild Genomes? Health Kentucky. Wild Health Kentucky Genomes. Goodness. Okay. Then get taking, Ryan back on. He'll, he'll drill it into your head. It'll be all good. You're, I'll, I will get it. Uh, with the, the eighth overall pick of the draft, taking uh, Alexis Scrappy Hopkins, uh, a catcher, of course, believed to be the the first woman drafted uh, by a professional baseball team for an on-field role. Uh, at least, at least looking around, sounds like sounds like she's going to be their bullpen catcher, the third ca- uh, the third catcher on that roster. Uh, what that, as far as whether she would get in uh, get into games, no, I guess we'll I guess we'll have to see. Uh, how injuries shake out and such, but it sounds like she's going to be the bullpen catcher. I know Stan Clyburn was ha- had a lot of great things to say about what she showed, um, handling uh, Jed no problem catching as far as uh, catching guys who are throwing 93, 94 miles an hour and whatnot. So uh, certainly a notable pick there, and uh, I, I know a lot of uh, a lot of press has gone their way this week as a result of that of that pick, but. And, uh, of course, I, I really want to know where she gets the nickname Scrappy from. 
I feel like it's just got to be one of those things where it's like to be like to keep it up through all these different levels and go through everything. You just kind of got to be a scrappy person. You got to be like, so I feel like it's got to be something along those lines. Uh, but yeah, now it obviously is a historic pick. I know in like the article that's on the Atlantic League website, they then mentioned something about a, about a draft pick in 93. So I don't know if that's supposed to change. It just kind of confused me. But either way, it is certainly a historic pick. Um, yeah, I believe she'd be the first, you know, I don't want to say position player, but basically position player. Cause I mean, pitchers are now, because there's a DH treated as a special class or some, or something along those lines. But, you know, uh, certainly a catcher is, uh, is definitely a, a grimy position. It's a position where you're doing an awful lot of work, even though it's not being, necessarily seen as much as say a shortstop or an outfielder would be seen doing their job uh so it's definitely a difficult position she handled herself well in the uh during the whole tryout and it's certainly it says something too that she got picked eighth this isn't just like it's the last pick of the draft what the hell we're not going to use it on anybody anyway we'll just take her take her for this it's pick eight team kentucky still had selections after this too and it, it just comes across as I'm very much a, you no, know, we actually like her as a player. So we want to add her on there. And so I, I think, uh, I think I would like to see her get into at least one game in there. And I think it would be something of note here because clearly Definitely. she can handle herself as a catcher. Now I have no idea what she's like as a batter. We have very little idea on any of these guys as far as how they did at the tryout itself, but it would be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, I agree with that point just because, you know, if it was the last pick of the draft, then it would kind of be like, eh, it comes like, across cool, as a token type of thing. It does. It does come across as a token As now that she, she was drafted number eight overall and Kentucky, let's see, had one, two, uh, had two more picks after this. Uh, and of course there were 11 other picks after this drafted by other teams. That makes it seem like uh, it, it was not, it was not that way at all. Uh, not to mention, we we have seen a lot of bullpen catchers being taken in this showcase that act as third catchers. I know, thinking of Somerset, I'm thinking of uh, Gabriel Brockham. Long Island does that too, but yeah, Gabriel Brockham. Oh yeah, Long Island. Yeah. Uh, Somerset um, and a great Gabriel Bracamonte. Uh, yeah. I, I remember I certainly remember him coming from that showcase and doing, doing a pretty good job uh, with Somerset as well, so... Uh, yeah, excited to see. I, I really do. I really do hope that she gets into a game. Certainly can handle herself on the defensive end. Have no idea what she's like as a hitter because you know it's hard yeah. to say when you're not there. Uh, but certainly a, a historic pick, uh, and certainly excited to see how it shapes out during the year. Absolutely, there. So I'm not really sure how much more there is to really be said about the showcase itself, because uh, like I said, they the Atlantic League's kind of notorious for making this difficult to cover, uh, but. You know, it, it is what it is, and hopefully we'll have more information uh, about these players soon enough, and we'll be starting to do some uh, some team previews and some league previews coming up in the not-too-distant future, certainly. So, uh, with that said, uh, really isn't anything else to discuss this week. I understand it's an extremely short week, uh, partially because I got things that I got to go and take care of, uh, other part just there's not much to really discuss this week uh you know it's it's tight on news and in march pretty much but like i said we're about uh three weeks away from doing the atlantic league preview or we are about 
four weeks away from being able to talk about actual baseball. So it's going to be very, uh, very exciting in the upcoming weeks. Absolutely. Uh, we're really, really reaching that light at the, light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Atlantic League preview just around the corner. Uh, hopefully we get some more signings here to talk about as well. Uh, so very excited and, uh, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting there and, uh, MLB starting soon as well. Spring training in full swing. Uh, re- really starting to get into the, so really starting to get into baseball season. And that is, uh, that is very exciting. Yep, especially as all the other sports like hockey and basketball start to trend towards their postseasons. As soon enough, baseball will have the the run of the mill. So, uh, or the run of oh, the house, probably better saying for that. But, uh, yeah, so with that said, uh, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. Uh, you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. We post a lot of stuff on there. It's probably the best place for it. Plus, it's just a lot of tidbits and news and whatnot we throw up there that don't really wind up making the show because they're not really worth talking about on the show even in slow news weeks like this but they're still interesting so they get posted uh likewise you can also do so on instagram at indie ball uh report that's got a bunch of stuff there too plus a bunch of articles and stuff normally between three to five a week get posted there or you could just go to the website indieballreport.com uh on the day that the show releases everything gets put up there but you can also follow on instagram at alpb underscore news uh like i just mentioned with the website uh, you could just find pretty much everything there. It's probably the best place you want to do some one-stop shopping. You could probably just head to the website and uh, see the episodes, see the show notes, see the articles, see everything really right there. Also, I want to point out, uh, we are going to be wrapping up that Indie Ball Hall of Fame voting very soon. It's about one week left in the voting. So I'd expect, I believe we said at the end of the month, we were going to wrap it up, but it'll probably be extended a couple of days through that weekend. So I figure April 4th is when the voting uh, tab is going to be shut off. So you got a couple more days, about a, a week or so from the time of this release to really get your votes in. So uh, make a point of doing that if you want to have a say in that. Uh, that being said, you can find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Amazon Music, uh, really the whole nine, just about wherever you can find podcasts, you can find the show. Uh, that being said, do we have anything else left to add? Uh, I do have something, uh, something, something to add. Uh, I would say, and this is something that as we hit the NCAA tournament, and this is something that I've seen this year that has really grinded my gears, you All can right. say. I cannot, there's got, the NCAA has to add some sort of tampering rules with these coaches, because I think this is ridiculous, that literally we've seen in two cases that as soon as their team loses in the NCAA tournament, the next day, they they're, off ta- they're off taking new jobs. And then those coaches have the audacity to complain about the transfer portal and, and stuff like that. And of course, the, the ones in particular that that I'm uh, that I'm thinking of, I'm looking at the t- Todd Golden, I believe his name is, the head coach at uh, uh, San Francisco, head, the head coach at San Francisco. Yeah. Um, he uh, he after the, he lo- he played a great game. Uh, the, the San Francisco and Murray State played a great game in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, and it was really frustrating to see that after that, after they lost that overtime game, a hard-fought game against Murray State, the very next day he's taken off these off uh, taking a huge check 
at the University of Florida. And then how about Murray State, the team who won that game? Their next game, they have a crushing loss to the 15-seed St. Peter's. The very next day, that head coach, Matt McMahon, taking the head coaching job at LSU. Yeah, and then what about and then and then what about Kevin Willard at Seton Hall? Uh, everyone's rumoring, oh, he's going to go take the job at Maryland, and then uh, his team goes out, gets railed by TCU in the first round, uh, and then and then he basically is asked after the game about the Maryland job. He's like, yeah, you know, I have to go home to, and talk to my agent. Basically, yes, uh, and not only that, but he takes the time to. Openly campaign for Shaheen Holloway, the St. Peter's coach, to take his job when Shaheen Holloway's team is still playing. Like to me, that is so messed up and so like so screwed up to do to those kids who are still playing in the NCAA tournament and have and have to have Shaheen Holloway answer those questions and have to have their like those players who are still trying to play in the tournament um, and see those see that in the headlines that Shaheen Holloway that. Everyone's begging Shaheen Holloway to take a, a bigger, a bigger job. Yeah. Like to me, it's just so ridiculous. And these are the same coaches that complain about the transfer portal and how players are able to move around too much. And it's hard to build a roster. It's and hard to it, build a roster me, when you're not there for more than five years. Yeah, it's such garbage that you 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 claim that you're putting all your heart and soul into a program and players as they go to the NCAA tournament, and then the next day you're leaving, and then and then claim, oh no, this all came together very quickly. Like, get out of here with that garbage. It, it's it's such it's such malarkey. I can't stand it. And they need to have legit tampering rules to make sure that I'm not saying that they can't leave, but literally the next day, like 12 hours after you lose in the NCAA tournament, you're going taking a huge check somewhere else. Is ridiculous, and I think it's got to stop. Yeah, it is. A, it is pretty bad. I the once they leave the next day, I'm like, really, dude, you couldn't wait like a week before you announced this. Come on, really? I like. I understand it's more beneficial because as soon as you're in as the head coach, you can start recruiting. I totally get that, but it is kind of like, really, dude, really. The ones I don't like are like the Shadeen Holloways, where it's like his team is still in the tournament. At least wait until the body's like warm. Not why he's still alive. Like, at least let him die first. But I, you don't understand how much I really want, like, Holloway at the end of this to be like, no, nah, I'm staying. I'm building this program. That'd be oh, sick. Oh, great. I don't think it's going to happen. It won't but happen. I, I, but it won't happen, but it's gonna be, it would be sick. Let me paint you a picture. Somehow, St. Peter's, they continue this miracle run. They knock off Purdue. They wind up with UNC. They knock off UNC. Every Duke fan in the nation is just cheering about this because, well, come on. Then we get a Duke-St. Peter's Final Four. I'm in the camp of, I'd like to see K win, but honestly, I wouldn't be that upset if they were to lose. St. Peter's loses. It's a close game, but it's respectable in the end. K's going through the whole line here, and you see why he normally does it with the handshake. And sometimes he gets the hand on the chest while he's talking to the players and shit. Oh, yeah. He gets to, he does that for each of them, you know, Good job, guys. You put your team, you put your school on the national map. You did a hell of a job. Great run. That whole deal. He gets to Holloway and he tells him, you should stay at St. Peter's. Gives him kind of a pep talk around that. Then they go back to Jersey City. We don't hear anything for a week. Then it comes out after the national championship. Holloway holds a press conference and says, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. Isn't that a that lovely would, picture? 
That would be a lovely picture, and as someone who can't stand Seton Hall, I would love seeing them get dunked on like that. Especially why? Because it'd be like the middle of April, and they'd be like, well, shit, we don't have a head coach. Yes, exactly. This is an issue. They're probably waiting for Holloway's season to end. Oh, they absolutely are. But if if he still tells them to screw, that would be great. That'd be incredible. Uh, If nothing else, but Team Chaos. So I guess on that note... Uh, the only thing I got left left to add is uh, hopefully we could see Duke in that final. Uh, next time we're talking, or actually next episode that goes out, 160, will go out on the day of the final four. So hopefully it'll be a Duke game day and uh, all will be well. Still got to get through Arkansas first. I'm not going to say anything because the second you get cocky is the second you lose. So all I'm going to say is Hell of a job there by Michigan State. They really pushed to the brink. Team dug deep and pulled out a huge win. And same to Texas Tech. Great defensive team. And if not for the fact that Duke shot 71% in the second half, probably weren't going to pull that off. But Jeremy Roach, Paulo Bancaro, and Mark Williams are going to drag this team kicking and screaming as far as they will go. And I can't believe Jeremy Roach is going to be the guy that saves Duke's season multiple times. But I'm all here for it, because you can't kill a roach. So, with that said, go Blue Devils, go Peacocks, and until next time, don't forget to play ball.